text of scripture I'll be preaching from is the one that was read just a moment ago by Rick Silver. I'm going to go just a little bit further down into the text, but I would like to read verse 1, John 1, and verse 1 and 2, and then skip down to verse 14 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Father, we thank you for the incredible truth that is really beyond our ability to fully comprehend and understand, and yet, Lord, it is presented clearly. And we are so incredibly grateful for it. Father, we are grateful that we can know Emmanuel, God with us. And so I pray this morning, Lord, as we worship, as we listen, as we are informed by this truth that it would minister to our souls, that it would encourage us, that it would cause us to give thanks and praise unto your name. I pray, Father, for the giving that takes place today. Lord, that we would give out of a heart that is very willing, out of a heart that is enamored by you and desirous to express that love through the giving of that which you have given to us. And so, Father, I pray that you would teach us to be wise stewards. Father, that you would encourage our hearts to give in a way that the gospel can be proclaimed to all the nations, this truth that we love, this truth that we embrace. And so, God, I pray that you would use these gifts to further your glory in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to have the privilege of introducing our Advent series this year, this week and next week. We're going to be looking at a portion in the Gospel of John. But I'd like to begin with a probably the verses that we often associate, that people often associate, that are on Christmas cards and a variety of things when we think about the meaning of Christmas. It is Matthew's introduction to the Advent story. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, that which we heard this morning from the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. In these verses, we find the two great storylines of the Christmas narrative. The name Jesus specifies what he does. 
he saves his people from their sins. Whereas the name Emmanuel specifies who he is. He is God with us. John is often referred to, John 1, as the theology of Christmas, whereas Matthew and Mark are spoken of as the story or the narrative of Christmas. John captures in a way that only he can do, only the way that the Spirit of God has allowed him to do, and that is exposing the identity of the deity of Jesus Christ. What we're going to look at today from John is who is this God, Emmanuel, God with us? Who is this God and how can we know this God? There are three primary ways that God reveals himself to man. Most of you, I think, could probably come up with these with very little thought. The first is through creation. This is certainly the broadest witness in the sense that it reaches every person who is alive or has lived, but it is the least defined. It is the least clear of all the various ways that God reveals himself to us. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice, the voice of creation, the proclamation of creation goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. And so it is a very broad declaration of God. You look at creation and you recognize God. Paul would state it this way in beginning to build the argument that God's wrath is set against all mankind, that God is going to bring his wrath, his gospel to bear. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Psalm 19, creation. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Two primary things that God has revealed about himself in creation, and they're massive, they're big, big picture. One is his eternal power cannot look at the heavens and the earth and think of the universe without being absolutely blown away by the power of God. That God could bring all of that into existence. You think about the vastness of the universe and think that God is greater than all of that, that God inhabits eternity, that God is just massive in this sense of his eternal power. And so to look at creation, you would have to question what has brought this about? This is something massive, his divine nature, that he is God. Even people who might not accept the true identity of the God who created would have to imagine in some way the order and everything that is behind the universe in which we live, that there is something divine. It is God who has done this. And so God has revealed himself 
to all mankind through the creation. God is also, we can know him through his word. There is more definition of God in his word, but it is also more limited. Not everyone has access to the word of God. But it begins to hone in from the broad picture of creation to a more defined picture of God through his word. The latter part of Psalm 19 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Jesus makes a fascinating statement about the Pharisees in the New Testament. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. The scriptures bear witness of Christ. The scriptures are not the source of our faith in which we place our hope for salvation, but they reveal to us Christ, who is that one who can provide salvation. He says, yet you refuse to come to me that you would have life. And so the word of God begins to give a clear definition Hebrews 11, or excuse me, Hebrews 1.1 that Jason spoke months ago. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And so the revealed word, the, 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 the recorded word that man has access to read, we learn about God. We begin to know God through the scriptures. But the clearest sharpest and most complete picture, although it is the most limited, that God has given us to know him is the Son. The Son of God is that which we know. Hebrews 1, 2, and 3. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. In what way has he spoken to us? Not simply in the messages that he proclaimed, in the sermons he proclaimed, the good news that he proclaimed, but he revealed to us God through his person. It says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of God's nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. It goes on to say that this God, this Christ, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. John 1.18 that I just read a moment ago, and we'll look at in more detail later. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. And so we go from creation to the recorded scriptures to the person of Christ, the incarnate word. And in each one, you begin to get a clearer, sharper picture of who this God is. How can we know God? Emmanuel, God with us. 
God is with us in human form. John 1.1 begins in the same way that the scriptures are introduced, and I'm sure the readers of this, their attention immediately would be called back to Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, in the beginning. Genesis 1.1 simply starts this way, in the beginning, God. God is assumed to always have been. God is just there. There's no explanation as to where he came from or anything such as that. It just simply states that God is. God always is. He is ever present. In eternity past, before the creation of the world, God is. God has always been. God is eternal. Now, it's impossible for us to wrap our minds completely around that and to understand it completely. It is a mystery that will always be withheld from us, whether when we get to glory, somehow God will cause our minds to fully comprehend that or not, I don't know. But God is eternal. God is. And so as John introduces it, he simply starts the same way in the beginning. Now he's going to move forward. Was the word. That word that also gives us understanding as to who God is. But now he's going to speak of the word not as the scriptures, but rather he is going to give it as a name to the one who is coming, Jesus And the word was with God. As God is and always has been the eternal one, so is the word. Because the word was with God. There's never been a time that God has existed that the son was not there with the father. The word was with God and then he makes this incredible statement. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. When you think about this, you have what would be called a beautiful picture of the Trinity. Jesus is with God, and yet Jesus is God. They're not the manifestation of the same thing, but rather they are two separate persons one with the other. We're going to see that over and again this morning, with God, but is God. God with us. Jesus Christ is God. He is with the Father, yet he is one. He is God. He is one in essence, yet existing side by side. The use of the term word conveys the notion of God's self-expression or speech. You think of the term word as connected with God and you see that God brings forth into existence through his word. And God said, let there be light. And simply there was light. He relates personally with his people by his word. He communes with people by his word. You think about this little episode that Genesis 15 reveals to us. 
After these things, the word of the Lord, God's spoken word, God relating to Abram, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And God says to him, fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. Then Abraham responds to the words that he is hearing, these words that are coming from God. O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him again. God communing with man, God relating to man through the word. All these things converge in Christ. In the beginning was the Word. He speaks about the Word and the Scriptures and how God comes and relates to man. How God personally interacts and communes with man. How God brings into existence all things through His Word. He continues, he said, The Word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven, the number of the stars that you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And so God communes with us through his word. The father and the son existing side by side, yet of one essence and one nature, was with God And was God. I don't say that in a way to bring you new information. You're familiar with that. But it could very possibly be one of those things that you've just read and you're aware of, but you've never really thought about the truth of. Maybe you struggle with the Trinity and trying to understand this concept. This is This is a glorious place in which you can see this. Maybe someone has come to you and really challenged you about the reality that Jesus Christ is God. This is such a glorious text of Scripture that would indicate that. Not only was he with God, but he is God. Verse 1 of John 1 and verse 18 are like bookends of this introduction that John presses upon us of this reality, was with God and was God, is God. Look at verse 18. No one has ever seen God. No one has ever laid eyes on God because God is a spirit. We see the evidence of God in creation. We see the evidence of God as he reveals himself in the word. But no one has ever looked upon God. Then he goes on to say, The only God who is at the Father's side. Who is he speaking of when he says, The only God who is at the Father's side? Who is he making reference to there? Jesus. Jesus who is with God, yet he is God. He is called God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He, Jesus, has made him the Father, God, known. John will press this truth on us over and over again. 
Listen to how 118 is translated in some different translations. The New American Standard says, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Made him known, explained him, kind of a little different term, a little different way to translate that. And yet it gives us some insight. The explanation, the exegesis, if you will, the bringing forth of Jesus to help us, or of God, to help us understand who he is. Not only his eternal power and divine nature, the big picture, but now he's going to come to this sharp, defined picture of who our God is. Emmanuel, God with us. Listen to the NIV. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Bringing out the intent of the writers there, kind of opening up what is surrounding this truth. Jesus, who is God, who has always been with the Father, is now making known to us the Father. John is going to hit this concept over and over and over again. John 6, 46. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God, Jesus. He has seen the Father. John 14. After the Last Supper, Jesus is engaging in conversation with his disciples and his disciples are asking a series of questions, making a series of statements that he is going to respond to. And Philip asked him this, we would be satisfied if we could just see the Father. And Jesus answered him this way. Jesus said to him, have I not been with you so long and still you do not know, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Not only is Jesus with God, but Jesus is God. To see Christ is to see God. Even though our eyes have never been set on the Father, to look upon Jesus, we see God, the same God that the Father is. triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. John chapter 5, with God is God. But Jesus answered them, my Father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. He is with God. He is God. John chapter 10. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them, my sheep, 
eternal life. And they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me with God, the Father giving the Son, these sheep, those whom he would redeem, giving them to him. My Father has given them to me. He is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one with God, is God, Emmanuel, God with us. What an incredible truth that is. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from my father. For which of these are you going to stone me? And the Jews answered him, it's not for a good work we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy. For you being a man, make yourself God. He is God. Listen to Paul's witness to this truth. Colossians chapter 1. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things were created through him, Jesus, and for him. And he, Christ, is before all things. And in him, Christ, all things are held together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in Christ, for in him, in Jesus... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. With God is God. All the fullness of deity dwells in him. Chapter 2 of Colossians. For in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Jesus Christ is God. Emmanuel. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus, Savior. And just as the prophet Isaiah spoke, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. John chapter 1, verse 14, the Word becomes flesh, God with us. What is the significance of what I've said? It's rich. And if I said nothing else and there was no more significance than that, we would walk away today with our hearts absolutely overflowing 
with the reality that our Savior is God. That he came, God came to this earth. God took upon himself the form of a man. Those things are just mind-boggling. He came in order that we might have life. I'd like for you to look at John 1.16 for just a moment. With God is God. In Christ is the fullness of God. Everything, as we think about God the Father, everything about him is exactly the same. He is the exact imprint. He is the exact image. All the fullness of God dwells in him. Verse 16. And from his fullness. Some translations use the term and out of his fullness. We have all received grace upon grace. Out of the reality of who Jesus is, he is the infinite God. Infinite in every way. Every imaginable thought we can think about God and his character is in Christ. And out of that fullness flows the grace of God. Flows the grace that comes to us Again and again and again, grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. One translation says grace in place of grace, in place of grace, in place of grace. It just is an ever-flowing stream from an infinite God. Jesus, out of his fullness, we are sustained, we enjoy, we are the recipients of God's amazing inexhaustible, glorious riches of grace. Why can it flow that way? Never ending, never ceasing, always new, because it flows out of one who was with God, but is God. What are some of the things that we see when we think about the glorious grace of God flowing from Christ. Romans chapter 8. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If you're hearing my words right now, your heart has to be doing something besides just beating. You have to be absolutely caught up into this state of thanksgiving. A statement like that. If God is for us, who can be against us? If we're in the Father's hand, no one can snatch us away. Why? Because he is God. If we're in Christ's hands, no one can snatch us away. Why? Because he is God. 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all with God. The son with the father. The father gives the son his people. And the son purchases. He redeems them. He brings them. He gives them away to come to the father, to reconcile God's people to the father. With God, yet he is God. How shall, excuse me, let me start again. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Grace upon grace, all blessings flowing to us because of who Christ is. Colossians 2. He says that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. There is not one piece of knowledge that Jesus does not know. Not only does he have all knowledge, but he has all wisdom how that knowledge operates to its best capacity to the glory of God. In him is all wisdom and knowledge. And so when we come and we beseech him for wisdom, for knowledge, when we train, when we instruct, when we read the word, the reason it is inexhaustible and infinite is because it flows from an infinite Christ who is God. Listen to Paul pray for the church at Ephesus and how it ties into this reality. Chapter 3, that according to the riches of his glory, Christ's glory, God, according to the riches of of his glory he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being you recognize that when we are going through periods of weakness when we're going through troubles and trials and sufferings and difficulties and doubtings We've had an unusual number of deaths connected to our church family over these past two or three months. I think about that so often because I know when you've lost someone that you care for that has had such a major point of identifying particular days, holidays, times that many times when you think about them, those people come to your mind so often. And to walk through those days without that person can be very, very difficult. And so we pray for one another. And I would encourage you to pray for those who have lost loved ones. Pray for those who are aching. Pray for those who are hurting. How? That they would be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That Christ who was with God, Christ who is God, infinite all wisdom, all power. He is God, all grace. 
that that power would work in you. The exceeding riches of his grace. Don't we understand what a magnificent God we have and that grace that comes from that glorious infinite God, the creator of heaven and earth. His power comes into us. With God is God. The only way that could ever happen is that that truth, God with us, Emmanuel, is so. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now listen to this next phrase. That you, that's we, me, you, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I don't fully understand, but I'm telling you one thing, that excites me. I don't know exactly how all that happens, that I am a partaker of divine nature, as Peter would say. That it is Christ in me, the hope of glory. That he is transforming me into the image of Christ. And I bear his image. He's renewing that in me. That I could pray for you and you could pray for me. And as Paul prays for the church in Ephesus, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God, that we might know God and that he would be on display in our own lives. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Does Emmanuel have any significance in our life? There is nothing that impacts our life on a day-to-day, moment-by-moment plane than this truth. Jesus dispenses his life. Jesus dispenses through his life, death, and resurrection, grace upon grace upon grace. I trust as this Advent season starts that we will be absolutely overwhelmed by this truth. It will fill our hearts, it will fill our minds, it will shape our desires. It will shape our prayers that this truth of Emmanuel, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He has made the Father known. Hallelujah. Father, we thank You for this truth. It is an overwhelming truth. It is something that needs to be thought about, to be meditated upon, to treasure, to seek to understand, Lord, to recognize the incredible resource that is ours, 
that you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Oh Lord, might we live in the light of that. Might we recognize the power that works in us. Might we toil, might we give ourselves to those pursuits, but might we understand that it comes through this power, the power that is you working in us. Father, use this for your honor, for your glory, for the good of your people. Amen.